Welcome to the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. This is a show about pushing through obstacles and hard times in order to live a happy and fulfilled life. I'm your host, Ted Fayton, and it's a pleasure to have you joining us. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's grow. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. Shout out to my executive director or executive producer, Andre Suttles, Suttles Solution Media, for continuing to help make this podcast possible. We have a great episode in store for you today. I'm excited to introduce founder and author of The Stream, also podcast host, and we're going to talk about abundance today. I'm so excited to have David Strickle on the call with us. David, thanks for joining Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. And I know we have to talk a lot about not just abundance, but the law of attraction and just the tire practice that you've also been introducing to the world. But first, I want to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself to our audience and let them know exactly who you are, maybe a little glimpse of your story and what you do before we jump into today's subject matter. Sure, sure. I, for my entire life, have been having these blocks of thought, if you will, drop in. And I remember it as far back as age five or six, sort of understanding universal law, even though I didn't even know what universal law was. I never heard of law of attraction or anything like that. I just knew how the universe operated and how we manifest things in our lives and how we create our own realities via our thoughts. I just understood that as a very young child. And fortunately for me, I had very disconnected parents (laughs) from my childhood who allowed me to really just because of their own disconnection from my life, I sort of was guided by this inner voice through life. And my childhood was not a conventional childhood. I meet a lot of people who say the same thing. And I was guided to a life of abundance, ultimately, meaning a lot of different things, not just abundance financially and material things, but just a life of self-appreciation and worthiness and feeling worthy of life and everything that I wanted in life, even though I was told exactly the opposite of that from my family. So that guided me through childhood. And then I got into adulthood and I really understood what we now call the law of attraction. In fact, I thought I invented it in my teens. And I really focused for a while as a teen and young adult on money and material things. And I knew how to manifest that stuff. And I was really good at it, even though I didn't have a formal education. I really didn't get past the 10th grade. I was not a good student in school. I was dyslexic and and very much paying more attention to this inner voice than the outer voices that were trying to guide me. And I was also a very curious person. So I really ended up teaching myself and I made myself financially successful. And then I got to around age 40, 41, where I realized I had manifested all of these material things, all this money, and I was very unhappy. Even though I had all this knowledge coming to me, I ignored most of it, pushed most of it away, and really focused on the material part of it, thinking that that was happiness because I grew up really poor. And when you grow up poor, you think that money means happiness because the kids that have the money have all the fun stuff and get to do all the fun you know, activities, and you don't get to do that. So obviously, the joy of life has got to be found in money. But for me, it wasn't, even though there were definitely things about having money and material things that I enjoyed very much. I needed a lot more. I needed a lot more healing of my past. I needed to face a lot of things that I'd never dealt with. I needed to ultimately create a system for myself, a practice for myself to allow the full message that was coming to me to be realized in my life. And I spent the decade of my 40s creating that. And then when I got to the end of the, the decade of my 40s, I had changed so much 
that I left my very high paying corporate job that I had manifested my way into, even without the formal education at that point, to teach this to the whole world. Because I was seeing how when I would share these you know, messages and ideas with people, they would implement you know, some of my practice in their lives and it would start to change their lives. And I realized that this was something profound that I needed to share, even though I had no idea how I was going to do that. So for the last four years now, I have been sharing this with the world. And the Taya practice is the practical application of this thought that comes to me. We now call this thought the stream, known as the Stream of David. I started the Stream of David podcast back in 2017. That's where I first shared the stream with the world. So the stream is a channeled message from source. And the channeled message from source again, is this knowing that I've always had, but the messages in themselves are interesting and inspiring and definitely connect all the dots of life. But I needed to create a practice to actually make it my way of being. And that's what Taya is. It teaches you to make that source perspective your way of being. So I think your show and your listeners, just from the title I know, are very aligned with that message. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that comes to mind, because I always think about the resistance for folks to kind of enjoy the benefits of law of attraction, living life of abundance, manifesting our future, and really kind of tapping into really the spirituality of our beings more so than just like the physical limitations that we might have, the extent of my fingers or, or my body. But there's always resistance, right? And even folks listening to this podcast right now might be like, whoa, like, where's this going? But how at a young age were you able to trust that intuition while we have so many influences from the outside in our lives? How were you at a young age and even through the years, through adolescence, able to, I guess, hold on to that, I guess, intuition, the source that was coming through you and trust that more so than the, the outside influences that so many of us succumb to? Yeah. So I'll back up just a little bit. When I say that I'm a channel, on some level, everyone is a channel because source flows through everyone. I always like to say that when I'm especially new to an audience. You know, I'm not coming here pretending to be some deity, you know, or looking to be worshipped or obeyed or anything of that nature whatsoever. Everyone has this intuition. And when we're at our best, our intuition is dropping in great new ideas, our creativity, when we feel really worthy of, of just having a good life and abundant, we all flow in and out of that. And that's a big part of our teachings. And that flow in it can actually be allowed much more of the time than we often do. We separate ourselves from it. So the idea of everyone being a channel is a very important part of this message. Not everyone is necessarily on a path to share it the way that I do in writing and speaking and stuff like that. That's not for everyone, certainly. But everybody has their version of that coming to them and flowing through them. And that's what I share. The allowing of it when I was really young came from the fact that my father was really disconnected from my life. He left when I was six and went on and married someone else and started another family. My mother moved us away, tried to keep us separated from him as much as possible. And at the same time, she really separated from life. She retreated to her bedroom. She stayed employed the whole time. She had a great work ethic, but she would go to work, come home, lock herself in her room and was not at all interested in being a parent anymore from my age six on. So she fought for custody of me and then ignored me essentially through most of my life, which ended up being a great gift for me. Painful at the time, painful into adulthood, absolutely, because there were many other things that went on in that relationship that a lot of people would say were awful and terrible and all that. But now I see it all as a gift because that inner voice is the thing that guided me 
through life, through surviving teenage, you know, being a teenager, which is a, a very tumultuous time for a lot of people. And that voice was ultimately the thing that set me on the path of life that I was on, even though I wasn't, again, a good student, I wasn't doing the things that society told me that I was supposed to do or be, I was really my own individual, but it was really a, a really good guidance system for me. And I believe everybody has that. And my good fortune was having those really disconnected parents, which could have gone either way. You know, I was certainly told because I wasn't a good student that I was going to end up in prison, you know, or dead or addicted to drugs. None of those things happen. You know, I ended up you know, believing in myself, starting my own business at 19, going into a successful corporate career, not living a perfect life, but living what would be an enviable life for a lot of people in their opinion. But my inner world was what needed the cleaning up. My outer world, I had it all. I had the fancy house and the nice cars and, you know, the, the big title, lots of income, lots of beautiful things, travel, you know, all of that stuff that we think that we need to be happy. I had all that and it was good. And I still like that stuff. And I still have a lot of that stuff in my life and I appreciate it, but it doesn't replace worthiness and love of self. And it doesn't replace really digging into what I call your transgressor energy, which is all of the negative stuff in your life, digging into it and ultimately finding appreciation for it, yeah. which is a, a, a radical idea in our society to appreciate your parents for being so disconnected. But for me, that was highly transformative to look at my father, who's still alive. He's 80 years old, and we don't have a great relationship. We never have. And appreciating the fact that he brought me into this world, and that's all he really owed me, yeah. my entry to this life. You know, a lot of people give their children up for adoption and things like that. And, you know, you, you can spend your life hating them for that or feeling like a victim over that, or feeling that you somehow weren't given something that someone else was, I spent a period of my childhood definitely feeling that way. You know, the other kids around me that had mom and dad, and they went on vacations, and they seemed happy, and they had a functional family. I didn't grow up in that. But it took me decades to look back and realize, gosh, you know, look how independent I am. Look how self-taught I am. Look at how I've stepped into my worthiness, even through lots of imperfection, and look how I found a path to loving myself. And then ultimately through that path of loving myself, allowing more source, however you refer to our you know, higher power, allowing more of that in and really allowing that, that high perspective of ultimately all of life, which is what the Taya practice is. It's radical appreciation of all that is, mm -hmm. including the stuff that we consider negative. Because, you know, if you study the law of attraction, you understand whatever you focus upon, you intensify in your life and then the collective consciousness of humanity as well. So if we're focusing on the bad of life, we're just fueling it. Yeah. But when you turn all that around and find appreciation for it, even if you don't even know what you should appreciate in the beginning, if you just lighten up on the topic and say, gosh, this is serving me somehow, because every element of life is serving everyone somehow. And allow that higher perspective to roll in, you will find appreciation for everything, mm -hmm. everything. And since that, you know, starting to teach the Taya practice to the world, I have had people that have come through my program that have faced the worst of humanity. I have had people whose children have been murdered. I have had people whose children committed suicide. You know, you always think that the worst thing that anyone could face would be the death of their child. How in the world do you begin to find appreciation for that? Yeah. But the people that come and work with me are the ones that want to move through the pain 
and understand that appreciation isn't, yay, that happened. It was the greatest thing ever. Of course not. You're never going to feel that way about something like that happening to your child. But a deeper understanding from the perspective of source, of the meaning of life, and the meaning of our eternal nature, and then applying that to humanity, and then more importantly, bringing that into your life. It's, yeah. it's highly transformative. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine I mean, when we talk about no rain, no rainbows, when you're in the middle of the storm, you know, the best guide through that storm, it's probably someone who's been through it before and being able to follow those footsteps and have that transformative experience only comes with guidance. And I talk about really the transformation that happens when you look at the decade, you mentioned 41 to 51. And I've seen the pictures of the, the weight loss, the transformation that happened in your life. And you mentioned how that kind of being the inception of the Taya practice with what you've learned in that decade. Going through that storm yourself, what happened at age 41 that initiated that transformation? And what was that decade like that has clearly inspired your current practice and, and really the trajectory of where your life is now? Walk us through those 10 years really quick. Yeah, the 41 for me was realizing that I had manifested all of the stuff that I thought I was supposed to have to be happy and I was not happy at all. You know, again, living in the, the house, I remember driving because I, I grew up in a two bedroom apartment infested with roaches, you know, they're crawling on me in the middle of the night while I was sleeping and with a prostitute living next door. And then to drive up to this palatial, you know, mansion is my home at 41 you know, in my Mercedes, in my, you know, custom-made suit, thinking, gosh, I've got it all. Mm -hmm. And still realizing that I'm not happy at all. I'm in a bad relationship. I'm addicted to Oxycontin. I'm 300 pounds. You know, I hate my job, even though I make all this money. You know, I really have misfocused, you know, all of this information that's been available to me. I was stubborn about it. I thought, gosh, if there's enough money that's just going to fix everything. <laughs> and it was just not. And I wasn't a billionaire, certainly. I was in a corporate job, you know, earning mid six figures. So I wasn't, you know, Beyonce level of, of wealth, certainly. Maybe that does buy happiness. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, I was making enough from my childhood perspective. I had manifested what I thought I was going to be able to manifest financially, materially at 41. You know, that was my version of rich you know, coming from a poor childhood, the big house, the built-in refrigerator, the German car, all these little check boxes were, you know, checked off of all the stuff I thought I was supposed to have. And then I had all the stuff and I realized I'm still not happy. I remember walking around the house one Sunday, looking at all my stupid stuff, thinking, gosh, you know, I thought this was going to be different. I thought this was going to feel different when I got here than it does. There's still a lot of stuff that I, I really want to change. So how do I go about doing that? That's when I started meditating. I had never, you know, I, I definitely was in my head a lot because of the knowing and I was going to see psychics, you know, to try to figure out what was going on with me. I saw a wonderful psychic really in my late thirties that told me that I was a channel and that I needed to listen to Abraham. And I thought Abraham was some, you know, Old Testament biblical thing that I was raised around and didn't want any part of at that point. So I didn't, I ignored it. And looking back, that was the most amazing session I've ever had with a psychic medium back when I used to see them to try to figure out what was going on with me. She said, you are a channel. You are here to share this message. I was deep, you know, in my late thirties, I had the fancy title. I was making good money. I didn't want any part of any weird spiritual stuff. You know? <laughs> I remember the, I don't want to be one of these weird people that's sitting in a metaphysical bookstore behind beads, doing readings. You know, mm-hmm. I was very judgmental of all that stuff and not really understanding what it was about at all, even though I was curious about it. So the big change was I began meditating and I had a Kundalini awakening pretty quickly 
again, sitting in that chair. And I guide people not to judge against this experience because my experience, I think, was a result of a lot of pent up energy within me that wanted this and I wasn't allowing it. Mm -hmm. And then when I finally sat and started meditating and allowing it, I had this explosion of energy at the base of my spine that sort of electrified me and still does to this day. So 12 years later, I still feel this electricity flow through me unless I am what we call down the spiral. If I'm disconnected from source, if I'm in that sort of gunky, low vibrational territory that we all visit from time to time, Mm -hmm. if I'm down there, I don't feel it. But if I'm anything above that, I feel it. Yeah. And I can get into channeling mode really fast and bring through the stream really fast. And it's a whole different state of being, but I can still remember, you know, those first 41 years where I wasn't allowing it, but it was like this energy that was bottled up inside me that when I started meditating and it, all it took was for me to quiet my mind for just a bit that released it. And, you know, I think everyone's capable of that, but I just tell people don't go looking for that because I wasn't looking for it. And if you look for that, then you're going to judge it. And then you're just going to chase it away. Mm -hmm. Anything that we're looking for and we think we have to have it, we generally chase it away. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like the the cat runs away when you try and give it attention, but then it comes to you when you ignore it. So, I mean, they say money acts like that. A lot of things in the world act like that. And, you know, typically we usually attract what we project. I'd like to talk about now the nitty gritty of kind of what happened in those 10 years after the awakening that led to that transformation and then what the Taya practice is all about. Sure. The next 10 years of my life, once I started a meditation practice, I very magically discovered, rediscovered Abraham. I ignored it for years Mm -hmm. and then it literally hit me over the head where I just couldn't ignore it anymore, where I realized, gosh, there's something in this message for me. I didn't really follow any spiritual teachers at all. I would kind of sift and sort through things and, you know, read a book here or follow somebody for a minute there. And there were you know, certainly teachings from Wayne Dyer and people like that that I found very uh, helpful. But the Abraham stuff, I realized the reason I manifested Abraham in my life was so that I would stop judging channeling as weird or bizarre because Esther Hicks' sharing of Abraham, if you've ever listened to that, she makes channeling very palatable. She's very char- a very charming woman, and her channeling of the Abraham message is, is something that a lot of people find appealing. And for me, it led me to being comfortable with being a channel and sharing my own version of that with the world. So that transformed my life, just allowing, listening to that and allowing what I already had to be fully realized and to no longer judge any of it or push against any of it, that detuning work that I did. I refer to detuning a lot. I had to sort of unlearn all of these, you know, limiting beliefs and crazy habits, you know, that we all have across humanity because we're fed so much fear and so much judgment that's tied to that fear. So I detuned all that stuff. In the process of doing that, I got out of the bad relationship. I lost a hundred pounds. I got off of painkillers. You know, I really just completely reinvented my life to one that was a lot freer and a lot more open. And then as I did this inner work, I started sharing it outwardly a lot more. I just couldn't help it. It's sort of like, you know, you get the keys to the universe. You can't keep that stuff to yourself. (laughs) You have to share it with people and not in a a preaching way. Like you need to do what I'm doing, but Hey, if you want to know what I'm doing different and you know, when you lose a hundred pounds and you, you know, kind of transform and really reinvent yourself, people want to know what's going on. You know, what are you doing? You know, how is this all happening for you this way? Well, this is what I do. 
And sometimes they look at you in horror because they're really not ready for all of that yet. You're like, oh, law of attraction. No, that stuff doesn't work. You're doing great, but I, that doesn't work. Okay, well, I'm telling you it does. And this is how to do it. But if, you know, if it's not your thing, it's fine. So that 10 years was unwinding all of that stuff. And the last frontier for me was 2017 when I just quit the corporate job. Mm-hmm. I had no plan. You know, I had some money saved and, you know, and some stocks and things like that, but I wasn't set for life. I wasn't ready to retire and do this as a retirement vehicle. Certainly living in California, you know, a very high cost of living state, I needed to somehow turn it into a business, but I had no idea how I was going to do that. And my intention was to create a course to teach people this stuff because I had already written a book. My first book is called The Stream, Eternal Wisdom for a Better Life. I'd already written a book. And I had the Stream of David podcast going, but you know those things aren't things that you're really going to make a living doing unless you do it extremely well or you know add something to that. So I had the intention, not even set around earning a living doing it, but set around I really want to teach people this. You know, I want to get into like a course with people and teach them this. And I didn't even realize exactly what that was going to look like. And it literally, it just unfolded magically for me. After I quit that job and sort of, I refer to it as jumping out of the airplane without a parachute. Yeah. It just unfolded magically. This person arrived in my path that was all about doing courses. It was very different than what I thought I was going to do. From there, I started the course. People that listened to my podcast started taking it. They started transforming their lives significantly in the process of doing that. They started doing testimonials. And I just racked up all these amazing testimonials. And then it just sort of took on a life of its own. And it transitioned from a little course to the Taya practice, which is a full lifestyle practice that isn't judgmental. There's no rules. There's no worship. It's not like a religion, but it's a mindset practice based on four pillars that allow you to detune transgressors, align more with source, and be more intentional in your thoughts, and really know where your vibration is all the time. Know what source-connected vibration feels like, which is the positive creator mode that we want to be in. Yeah. But we can't be there all the time. We get knocked in and out of it because of the of what I call polarity. You know, this vibrational flow that we all operate in takes us up and down. That's why I love the name of your podcast so much because there's so much value in the down that we're taught to demonize or fear or push against, but that only keeps more of it coming. Mm-hmm. So when you learn to flow into that low vibration and meet your obstacles and joy, they actually become fewer and further between. And the solving of the obstacle, when you really learn how to authentically meet it in joy, your vibration goes right back up. You're reemerged into source energy, which is our natural state of being. And then it just gets solved. Yeah. It's like a magical process for solving every problem in your life. And we all have it. We can all do it. And that's the good news. Yeah. I mean, the, the reality of with no rain, no rainbows is it's the rain that delivers the nutrients for growth. And you need that in order to really live the abundant life. And we always say you're either in the storm, just got out of one or you're heading towards one. But the embracement of that journey and of those ups and downs really kind of makes it more of, I don't want to kind of reference it as a ride, but you're more riding this energy as you're kind of going through life. So many people, and even when I look back in certain instances in my life. And I I say people who are listening to this podcast and they're doing well for themselves. 
I've seen maybe looking in the past, some decisions I've made when I was unsatisfied with where I was and I was in the hospital and folks that listen to this podcast regularly know about my diagnosis with ulcerative colitis, two weeks in the hospital, coming out and deciding no longer was I going to let my energy cause the inflammation in my large intestine to send me back to the hospital. Well, since then, a month and a half later, I'm snowboarding on top of a mountain. A year later, I got the raise at work. I left that job. I moved into my own apartment and I start my dream job, which inside of this whole thing with no rain, no rainbows to the trajectory of where I am now. So looking back, that might've been an instance of me manifesting what is currently happening right now with the no rain, no rainbows podcast, but it wasn't done intentionally. I can tell you that. So for folks who are doing well for themselves, as we have about six minutes left in the podcast here, who might think, okay, I don't need a practice because I'm doing pretty good. What is some of the difference and some of the acceleration in their lives they can experience when applying something like the Taya practice to themselves and really living life with intention rather than just, I guess, for lack of a better way of describing it, just getting lucky along the way? Yeah. The idea of I have it all and life is great and I don't want to do any more work. What tends to happen when we get there is that we are going to cause a disruption because we're expansive beings. There's evidence of this all around us. We all want more. We want to do more. We want to have more. We want to be more. We want to help more. We want to create more. We want to give more back. Whatever our more is, and there's no judgment around any of that, whatever our more is, we are expansive. We are here to expand the earth environment and contribute to the expansion of the universe. And that expansion occurs in the wanting and the creating of more, the allowing of more. Because the wanting and balance are in harmony with our believing that we can actually have it. That's a good kind of wanting. Mm -hmm. Knowing that we can achieve something and do something and have something or be something and allowing it to, to come together in the, the universal process of creation, which sometimes can be instantaneous and sometimes can take a long time. And being at peace with whatever that process looks like. That is a joyous way to live life. That's what the Taya practice is all about. So I have had everything come through my program from homeless people to billionaires. They're all looking for some sort of expansion. You know, I did have somebody that you would think had every single thing that you would ever want, multiple homes, private jets, yachts, you know, the money was just not an issue. And even personal happiness and the family situation was really good, but there was still more. And it was this more in how do I effectively give back without just becoming an open checkbook for every charity? Because when you have a lot of money, everyone just wants your money. And this person is fine with giving money. They are a philanthropist. I'm not even saying words right this morning, but they wanted to give more back in terms of what really matters. Because again, you always hear the common thread from all these people that have that much money is that the money doesn't buy happiness. You know, the, mm. the money is a nice thing to have, but it doesn't buy happiness. It doesn't buy peace. And it's not the answer to everything. And they've learned that lesson the hard way by manifesting all of that money and then re- you know, realizing that, gosh, this still isn't it. You know, there's no number of yachts or homes or jets that really bring happiness if you're not happy first. Yeah. So that's the key is understanding that we're expansive beings by nature and that if we create and think that we have everything going perfectly, we're going to let some of that stuff spin out so that we have the pleasure of rebuilding it, maybe a different version of it, 
maybe a better version of it. You know, we're always building a better mousetrap and we see examples of that all around us. So being okay with the storms coming through, the storm coming through and creating a little destruction and then seeing just like in nature, the vegetation just grows back more beautiful and better than ever if you just allow it. We are the same way. We are the same type of creation that our trees are. And a storm comes through and clears out some brush and maybe takes a few limbs off, but the tree is still there and just comes back bigger and better and stronger and more brilliant. That's our natural state of being. <laughs> we just push against it because society teaches us that, yeah. but we don't have to. And Taya is all about releasing all of the judgment around our own natural vibrational flow, which is the universal process of creation and really learning what that's all about. Then you savor that downtime. It is your feeding time. It is your refueling. Our language is so compatible. It's great. We've called it refueling time. You're going down there and refueling. You're feeding yourself. You're fueling up for the next new creation. And whatever spins out is solvable because we can solve anything that we create and we create all of it. But the first step is really claiming ownership of all of it and just saying, hey, I created all this, even the crap that I don't like, even the <laughs> stuff in my past that is painful, if not even traumatic. But claiming ownership is so powerful because then you can transmute it. You can make it all something powerful for you and progressive for you and make that your expansion tool, which is an amazing way to live life. Yeah. And for everybody that resists against claiming the responsibility of their lives, they hold on to the fault aspect of it. And yeah. I usually I use the example of if a baby were to land on your doorstep, it's not your fault that it's there, but it's now your responsibility of what happens with it. And that's really what our lives are all about is the responsibility of where we go moving forward. So it's never too late to start writing the chapter right now. I know we can go on and on and on, David. I definitely, there's definitely questions I've written down that I didn't get to get to, but I want to make sure that our audience and our listeners who've made it this far have a chance to get in contact with you, learn more about the Taya practice, utilize it and get in touch with you to get that lessons from you as well. How can folks reach out, maybe get a call, hop on a call with you and get a consultation? Sure. First of all, we're the Taya practice everywhere, you know, social media, website, I'm sorry, the stream of David everywhere. Gosh, I'm going to get backward. The stream of David. Yeah. Uh, website, uh, Instagram, Facebook, everything. But we do have a Facebook group, which is the best way to get in touch. And it's called the Taya Practice. T-Y-A stands for Trust Your Abundance. So join the Taya Practice Facebook group. And when you go in and request to join the group, we ask the question right off the bat, if you're interested in talking to us about our programs more. Uh, and if you say yes to that question, then we get in touch with you. That's the path to getting in touch. And even if you say no to that question, you can get into the group and start learning. But definitely, if you're ready to learn more about the programs and things like that, get into that group. And uh, when you do the request, just let us know that you're interested. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm going to have those links in the show notes as well. So folks can be adverted to that as well. Before we wrap things up, I just want to recap some of the, the gems you left along the way so in case our listeners missed it along the way. But of course, everyone has that intuition. Everybody has the ability to be a channel. So many of us get influenced by the world around us. We forget to kind of listen to ourselves. Ask yourself, when was the last time you sat in silence for more than five minutes? I'm talking no chimes on your cell phone, no alerts or rings at the doorbell, no Alexa, Amazon purchase delivery. I'm talking five to 10 minutes where you sat down in silence and try extending that even longer. Give yourself the luxury of 45 minutes to an hour of silence and you and your thoughts, and you'd be amazed at what happens. Needing a guide through life. So many of us have these outside intuitions. David was 
lucky enough, and it's amazing to hear him describe it as that, to have what he called disconnected parents so he can guide himself through life, which helped him trust that intuition. And then worthiness and love of self. I think so many of us are looking for that. And we are constantly trying to find that in materialistic things, but you need something more tangible. And to find out what that is, it takes some self-reflection and knowing of self. I was stubborn about it. How many of us are stubborn right now, even maybe judging some of the things you heard in this podcast? We are all stubborn to a certain extent, but imagine the expansive thought of living outside of your perspective for just one moment on the off chance that what you need is on the other side of that stubbornness. Just a thought for you to take with you as you finish this. And we are expansive beings. I always say at the end of the episode, let's grow because I truly do believe the day we stop growing is a day we start dying. So we need to continue to grow, learn, become better, not just for ourselves, but for those around us, the world, the communities that we live in and more. David, thank you so much for not just the time, but the trust and the knowledge that you shared with myself and the listeners today. It was a, it was a phenomenal podcast. Thank you so much for having this fantastic meeting you. Absolutely. And to all of the listeners who made it to the end, thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode or you know someone who could benefit from it, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with them and give us a like and hit that subscribe button to get new episodes each and every single week. Leave a rating to let us know how we're doing. The only way we can improve is when you let us know how we are doing. And if you want us to fix anything or improve on anything, Hey, I'm an open book. Come on and hit us out in the ratings. Also, if you love the podcast and you want to support financially, be sure to support on our Patreon page for as little as $1 a month. You get more audio from guests like David and others and some behind the scenes content as well. Certainly want to catch you guys on that side. But for now, as we always say at the end of the episode, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without a little pain. Let's grow.